Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. Today is Sunday, December 18th. Amanda Borshaldan here with our military correspondent, Emmanuel Fabian, and news editor, Amy Spiro. Hello to you both. Hi, Amanda. Good morning. We have a lot to discuss. The lion's den has reared its head again with a shooting attack in the West Bank. And Manny will also tell us about an IDF drill he attended on hospital readiness. Amy is here to tell us about Hallmark Hanukkah, as well as share some points from her interview from Israeli MMA champ Nathan Levy. But first, a short break. The Technion Israel Institute of Technology is where some of Israel's brightest minds ask the biggest question of all. What if? What if they could take on the world's biggest challenges? What if they could develop life-changing environmental, scientific, health, medical, and technological discoveries that will make a huge impact on Israel and the planet? But they don't just ask the question, they answer it too. They turn those ideas into reality. They make them happen. To see just some of the incredible things they've achieved, get the Technion Booklet of Wonders at ats.org wonders. We hope it inspires you to give them your support so they can keep doing what they do best. The American Technion Society. World-changing discoveries by Israel's brightest minds made possible by you. And we're back. Manny, an Israeli driver, came under gunfire by Palestinians in the northern West Bank on Friday. And last night, the Lion's Den militant group reportedly claimed responsibility. Thankfully, no one was hurt, correct? So tell us a little bit more about this attack. Right. So on Friday afternoon, this Israeli man who was uh, driving on the Route 60 highway close to the Havat Gilad outpost and near the uh, Palestinian town of Tel. It's just south of uh, Nablus, where Lion's Den is mostly based. And uh, this driver was shot at several times uh, while driving in the area. One of the bullets actually hit the back of his uh, headrest on his uh, on his seat. Uh, but thankfully, he was uh, uninjured by the attack. Uh, the army uh, dispatched troops to the scene and began to search for the suspect, but uh, no uh, no arrests have been made yet. And uh, late uh, last night, the Lion's Den uh, group, which is based uh, in Nablus, mostly in the Nablus Old City, but has also claimed uh, responsibility for uh, shooting attacks in the kind of in the, in the Nablus area, not just in the in the city itself. Uh, they claimed responsibility for the attack, and uh, this comes after a few weeks where they've been mostly dormant. I would say um, the army conducted a lot of arrests of their members. Uh, several of their members, several of their senior members, were killed by the army. So this comes after a, a short period where they were. Uh, not claiming any attacks or had not uh, been accused of any attacks. Okay, Manny, thank you for that. Now, also last week, you attended a large-scale military and medical drill at Hadassah in Kerem Hospital in Jerusalem. That was on Thursday. So from based on what you saw, do you think that patients should feel safe in light of any kind of potential war? I definitely think they should feel safe. Uh, so I, I watched this drill happen. It, it appeared to me, and at least what the officials there said, that it was quite a success. So 
this drill was pretty dramatic. It simulated essentially a war uh, going on on multiple fronts, rocket fire from Gaza, from Lebanon, and uh, how a hospital in Jerusalem would handle that. So they first practiced handling uh, kind of rockets hitting the area, knocking out power to the hospital, and uh, moving patients around to more secure areas. And then they simulated essentially a rocket hitting the hospital itself. So they practiced along with the hospital and with the army, they practiced um, moving patients out of damaged areas, closing off areas that are damaged, uh, moving equipment around. And then the second part of the drill simulated essentially a, a large uh, rocket attack on an area in Jerusalem and with around 70 people injured and being brought into the hospital. So the, the home front command uh, soldiers and medical forces from the army uh, assisted in basically transporting dozens of people into the hospital. A hospital has already been damaged in rocket attacks as well, uh, and to basically uh, handle that situation and and uh, help the hospital in, in this kind of uh, very, very dire situation. And this happened all while um, the hospital was running as usual, right? There was still patients in the hospital who were there for, you know, day-to-day -day things. Uh, so it was quite dramatic to see, and they did have to move people around during the drill because it was the, the entire hospital was kind of in this fake uh, alert. So definitely for your question, uh, I think people should feel safe. Okay, question for you. Uh, based on my own experiences there, the traffic around in parking situation is just really not great. And so I wonder if you have hundreds of people flooding in all of a sudden, how can the grounds actually handle the sheer volume of vehicles coming in? Was that part of the drill? The, right. So the, I spoke to army officials and they said that uh, one of the particular dangers in a war is that roads will be uh, inaccessible if like rockets hit roads or uh, you know, something happens on, on a road and, and then cars are, you know, piling up or roads have become blocked. So the part of the drill did did actually involve the army uh, kind of simulating how they would clear the roads in order to help uh, enable ambulances to actually reach the hospital properly. So that was part of the drill. It wasn't a main part, but it is something they're taking into consideration that during a war, uh, roads will be somewhat inaccessible if it's for people trying to flee areas or if a rocket strikes roads and, and damages them or something along those lines. Okay, Manny, really fascinating. Thanks so much. And we'll go to a short break now. Shalom, dear listeners. This is Daniil Hartman. And I'm Yossi Klein Halevi. Together we host the podcast For Heaven's Sake from the Shalom Hartman Institute. These have been some of the most challenging days for me personally, for Israel, and for the Jewish people. And one of the ways in which I've gotten through this is that I found solace and meaning through discussions with my dear friend and study partner, Daniil Hartman. And I hope that the Times of Israel listeners will join us as we continue to tackle the pressing questions facing the Jewish people here at For Heaven's Sake, which has become the number one Judaism podcast. Well, Daniil, I'd also like to recommend the Identity Crisis podcast hosted by our colleague and friend Yehuda Kurtzer. It's a series of fantastic conversations with leading figures in Jewish life, thought, and culture. Now, for decades, the Hartman Institute has been a preeminent destination for Jewish ideas and learning. Now you can access Hartman Ideas on these chart-topping podcasts at shalomhartman.org forward slash podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll privilege to help guide you through these challenging and even unsettling times. And we're back. 
Amy, you recently interviewed the mixed martial arts fighter Nathan Levy, and he had some, shall we say, fighting words for Kanye West, right? What did he say? He did. Um, he actually, he made some comments, um, I guess, two weeks ago now, right after he won uh, a recent bout at the UFC, the Ultimate Fighting Championship. He was asked about it um, at a, co- you know, a press conference after the fight, you know, asked about seeing all this anti-Semitism because Natan is, is Israeli, is Jewish, and is very open and proud about that fact. And he said, you know, he said, Kanye West, if you got a problem with me or my people, come see me. Um, and so that sort of made a lot of headlines. It's exactly the kind of thing that people are looking for in headlines now. And so it made a little bit of uh, noise. And that's, you know, part of why I wanted to talk to him. So one of the reasons why I asked you to talk to him actually is because he is so incredibly ripped. The pictures that we included in the article, he has muscles where muscles should never be. And did he talk to you at all about his training process? Oh, Amanda, we talked a little bit about his training. I mean, essentially, he he comes from a karate background, right? Mixed martial arts is a little bit of a misnomer today, but in its at its core, it is about combining different forms of martial arts. Um, and so he started in karate. He studied that for years and years as a kid. As a teenager, he even went to Japan and became a black belt. But he realized that if he wanted to pursue MMA, that he really had to move to Vegas, where UFC is headquartered. And so he moved to Vegas. Vegas um, a number of years ago. And so he does full time. He trains constantly. Um, You know, they only fight every few months or so. And so all between that, they're training, you know, really every day. Um, He he fought his last bet. His last bout was two weeks ago and he was victorious, the second consecutive win. Um, And I spoke to him a few days after that. And he said, you know, I need to take like two weeks off to let my body recover. He said, you know, I, I kicked the guy really hard, like my legs are in pain. And he said, once those two weeks are up, he'll be back training really every day. So it's a very intensive process, a very all consuming passion to pursue. Now, for those who are not interested in viewing one of the most viewed sporting events ever, ever in the world, that is, of course, the World Cup tonight, there's also a premiere on the Hallmark Channel of Hanukkah on Rye. Now, is there any Rye humor in it, or is it straight up kitsch? Excellent pun. Thank you very much for that lead in. Um, you know, I will say, first of all, that there are probably people out there who want to watch both the World Cup final and Hanukkah on Rye, and we should support them. Um, is there any Rye humor? <laughs> it's, you know, it, it, any, any, you know, obviously, I, I've seen the film. I, I saw it before uh, I spoke to the star, and, and um, you know, lots of my friends will ask me, okay, well, is it good? And I said, you know, if you're judging it as a as a piece of cinema, then no. But if you're judging it within the Hallmark experience, then it was very sweet and cute and silly. Um, and Hallmark is not known for its, you know, serious films, I would say. Um, and so this is something that, um, you know, it's a little corny. It's definitely kitschy. But I think especially for people who maybe weren't as happy with Hallmark's Hanukkah offerings in the past will will be more satisfied with this one. Now, the star of it is somebody that uh, I actually recognize, and you know how little television I watch. Her name is Yael Groblas. Tell us a little bit about her and what she's been in in the past that our, our listeners may have seen. 
Yes. Yeah, so Yael is is Israeli, um, and she lived here for most of her life until seven or eight years ago, and she moved to Hollywood. And she definitely is most well known for being in Jane the Virgin, which is a very popular show, and she was in it for many years. And she actually ended up, you know, I don't think we can. I think spoiler alerts are fine. It's been off the air for a while, so she actually ended up sort of playing like multiple different characters within the show and became sort of a very iconic part of it. And so that's definitely what she's best known for. And uh, I think people will be excited to see her in this and also to see someone, you know, to see someone Israeli, but also Jewish playing uh, a Jewish character on screen, I think is important to a lot of people. And for her being Israeli was kind of a challenge to overcome in playing this very, very American treatment of Hanukkah. What did she have to do? Yeah, so she plays Molly Spiegelman, who's like this third, fourth generation, Lower East Side, you know, American family, um, but she is Israeli. And so when she says even just the word Hanukkah, right? American Jews say Hanukkah or Hanukkah and Israelis say Hanukkah. And so you can sort of hear her a little bit, you know, not to call her out, but a little bit in the film um, that comes through. And she told me, you know, even like saying the prayers, she had to sort of try to sound a little bit more American Jew than Israeli Jew, which was, you know, a little bit of a challenge. And of course, we can't avoid anti-Semitism even here. And she said that uh, having this film at this time was was actually perfect timing. Why? Yeah, you know, I don't think anyone thinks that a, a Hallmark movie is going to solve anti-Semitism. But I think that it's just provides sort of like a very positive, sweet, family-based representation of Jews on screen at a time when, you know, things are slightly less uh, less warm and fuzzy. Um, so I think just any, you know, just having a positive portrayal, having a positive buzz around the film, um, you know, can make even, even if it's not having an impact on non-Jews, it can also make Jews just feel better and feel more seen and more welcomed at a time when that's sort of less less happening. All right, we have a little time, and it is almost the first night of Hanukkah. Do you have any questions for me, either of you? I have a question for you. Uh, I know you wrote recently a story about this big hoard of coins that was discovered, conveniently announced just before Hanukkah. When, when were the coins actually found, and what can you tell us about them? Okay, so a really incredibly preserved wooden box holding 15 silver tetradrachma coins were discovered in May. And they were announced now because they're going to go on display for the first time in Modi'in, in the Hashmonaim Museum that is in Modi'in. So essentially what happened is that uh, these this cache of 2,200-year-old silver coins was discovered during a campaign that the uh, Israel Antiquities Authority and other bodies have been doing for the past several years, in which they're uh, probing into caves near the Dead Sea, such as the caves that offered up the Qumran uh, Dead Sea Scrolls. And they're looking for, number one, of course, more scrolls, but any other things that have been overlooked, one, by looters who have been uh, combing the area, and two, by other archaeologists. So the cave that uh, they actually found this uh, this hoard of coins in was actually uh, excavated in uh, the 1950s, and it's part of uh, four different caves in the system that was excavated, but it's about 100 meters, uh, this cave, and some things were overlooked, such as this wooden box, which essentially kind of looks like, I don't know, a thermos in its uh, in its appearance. 
and it was created on a lathe. So it was spun around and hollowed out uh, while being spun around. It's a really beautiful box. And inside were these 15 silver coins that essentially represent about two months' salary of an average person at the time. So what ties this to Hanukkah? Number one, the dating of the coins uh, matches the Hashmonaim period or just before the Hashmonaim period. But also in uh, the Maccabees, the book of Maccabees, it is written about how people would flee into the desert. The word in Greek is for a desolate place. And so these coins were hidden in a niche in a wall of a cave by somebody, the theory is, who was fleeing all the pogroms that were happening right before the big, the big, big story of Hanukkah in which the villain king Antiochus was uh, persecuting the Jews. So the Israel Antiquities Authority I released the story now because it just begs to be released now. But they're calling it the first hard proof for what it was written in the book of Maccabees, the first real evidence, hard physical evidence of this uh, Maccabee story of the people fleeing into the desert. I just found it really fascinating. Amy, Manny, have a great night tonight, whether you're watching Hallmark, the World Cup, or just merely lighting your candles. And uh, thanks for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. And thanks to our producer, Gilad Brownstein, and to Gili Amar for this out-of-this-world music. You can find us daily wherever you find your podcasts. And on our mothership, timesofisrael.com. Like what you hear? Consider rating us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to spread the word. And be sure to check out our weekly feature, Times Will Tell, released every Friday. Until next time, Shalom. Shalom.